This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Yeah, you know what to do. <laughs> Big Blue, why you got to be putting up some nonsense like that before we even start the show throwing up my vibe? You're muted, by the way, my man. That's what you get. That's what you deserve. <laughs> Somebody got me on a hot mic, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys are funny. Welcome back to the Drunk Turkey Show. I'm Daniel. Alongside with me is Big Blue. How you doing, Big Blue? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm just enjoying my day. I'm trying to stay in That's the cool good. coolness of the out of that heat, man. It's hot out there today. It, is, it was a hot one today and yesterday when the that, that surge went and the power went out briefly. My AC went down for like about an hour or so. I didn't even know until I started sweating. I was like, man, it's getting kind of warm up in here. Figured out why. But yeah. Heat aside, let's talk a little bit of uh, true crime. We have a special guest tonight, Jules of Jules of All Trade. Hi, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Doing great. Doing great. Looking forward to our conversation. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a minute. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to go over, kind of. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. So we talked a little bit backstage. We were talking about referencing the um, newest documents that uh, we're just released. I know there's a lot of folks talking about it, but uh, mm-hmm. we haven't yet. Um, I kind of want to go through some of it. And, and it's referencing Brian Koberger's uh, motive of defense of alibi, or basically his alibi. And in this document, uh, which is the objection to the state's motion to compel motive or defense of alibi or alternatively to bar certain evidence, um, Brian Koberger's alibi or what we think his alibi is, um, is stated here, and, and I'll read this real quick. So by, um, hold on, let me just get to the uh, the good part right here. All right, so Mr. Koberger has long had a habit of going on long drives. Often he would go for drives at night. He did so late on November 12th on and into November 13, 2022. Mr. Koberger is not claiming to be at a specific location at a specific time. At this time, there is not a specific witness to say precisely where Mr. Koberger was at each moment of hours between the late night of November 12, 2022 and the early morning, November 13, 2012. He was out driving during the late night and early morning hours of November 12 through 13, 2022. Counsel for Mr. Koberger is aware the case law broadens the definition of alibi with the statutory requirement of a specific location to more broadly include disclosure of information that tends to state the person claiming alibi was at a place other than the location of an offense. Mr. Koberger has complied to the extent possible at this time. Corroboration of Brian Koberger not being at 1122 may be brought out through cross-examination of the state's witness uh, witnesses. At this time, Mr. Koberger cannot be more specific about the possible witnesses and the exactly what they and exactly what they will say. The defense has been hampered by the state's own choices. The state chose to choose a secret uh, grand jury rather than uh, the planned preliminary hearing. Had the state moved forward with the preliminary hearing, the defense would have had the opportunity to develop testimony through cross-examination and witness presentation. Instead, the defense has only received on July 27, 2023, a copy of the testimony the state chooses to elicit. A review of such is underway 
the defense had had to obtain the investigative materials from the state's investigative counterparts, the FBI, through an order compelling the state to approve such materials. The state made draft disclosures just two weeks ago. The sufficiency of these disclosures is currently being analyzed. Cooperation of Brian Cooper not being an 1122 King may be brought out throughout expert witness presentation. That analysis is underway. The defense has been diligently working to analyze analyze relevant discovery materials and conduct its own investigation. Notably, the defense has had to obtain a court order to receive relevant discovery materials. The delay hampers the defense investigation. So <clears throat> basically what they're saying is that Brian Koberger has a history of going on long drives. He was on a long drive uh, on the night in question and that um, <clears throat> that through the Interrogation, not the interrogation, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Through talking with the state's witnesses, they feel that they could possibly come up with some sort of um, cooperating evidence. It's basically, what it says in a nutshell is that what I'm understanding? Is that what you get, Big Blue? Yeah, I mean, I get that that he's trying to just say that um, he, he takes long drives often, that that's what he was doing that day, but I think that. By them trying to get the win, the professional, what is it? Uh, the way they stated, uh, experts, expert witnesses, or whatever, to come forward and try to prove his innocence. Uh, I think that's not going to work if they go by the timeline. So we kind of know, but we'll see. What about you, Jules? What, what are your thoughts so far on this motion here? What is, What do you take away from this motion? I mean, honestly, I've I've been kind of disappointed in the last two documents, the two big ones, because they just kind of seem mm -hmm. not as confident as a lot of the stuff I've seen from the defense. Like this, this just seems like if you were going to stay silent, why is this the way that you chose to stay silent with this weak storyline? I mean, I understand people do go out and like drive alone or whatever, but he's not from that area. He's not local. He's not. There's no way that in just a couple of months he's gotten his bearings about where he is to be able to drive around for hours with no phone for GPS. It's just a, that doesn't seem just logical to me in itself because he's not even from there. Uh -huh. But I, I mean, but it's also kind of a generalized way to kind of give the court what they are asking for or well, what the state's asking for before the court has to compel it from the defense it's not giving anything too specific and you know as long as they can eventually prove that he was actually driving at some point he's not technically lying either it's just not exactly at all what i expected just like i expected the motion for dismissal to have some real stance to it and it didn't i expected more mm -hmm. of an alibi if there was going to be something actually coming out from him because of just all the silence i agree i agree 100 you know this right here tells me a lot of things you know, um, one, he's alluding that he was driving, he wasn't in the area, and that the possibility of those phone things could be accurate, the ones that are happening while his phone was off. So the question's going to come up is, why was the phone off during that time? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what logical explanation could he come up with? Could it be that, you know, his phone ran out of service? You know, I think there's a problem there because the phone turned off in the middle of Pullman and turned back on at, you know, south of Moscow, which 
my opinion, I think you'd have to go through Moscow to to get there. And so the phone wouldn't be in service in the areas where it's most likely to have service and out of service in the air or back in service in the areas it's most likely to drop. That that doesn't make any sense. You know, the coincidence that it would take for his phone to have died and then magically recharged and turned back on, you know, the likelihood of that is astronomical, in my opinion. Uh, Because most people's car chargers are like charging their phone while they're driving. So in my opinion, if you're driving and you have phone battery issues, you're not stopping to plug it in somewhere at a physical location. You're charging it in your car. It would be charging while you're driving. It wouldn't have been dead for so long. Right. One hundred percent. And it sounds to me. Go ahead, Blue. That's that's true. You know, and it sounds to me that the hope is that somebody, you know, one of the state witnesses is going to trip up during testimony and or uh, they're hoping that, you know, one of the, you know, the state witnesses is going to put somebody else there, you know, Mm -hmm. say, hey, you know, I I heard somebody's voice and that voice sounded like somebody not Brian Covert. And it doesn't sound like that is something that is written down. It's not in a statement because I believe that if it was, um, they would be pointing to such statement as a reason for dismissal, as a reason for, um, you know, his alibi. I think you would point at those things. And so I think it's more or less a hope than it is something solid, in my opinion. So so what do you think, considering this up against the... um defense well yeah the defense claiming that bethany has something exculpatory like could it technically mean that it doesn't even have anything to do with brian but she knows exactly what happened in that house my my thoughts have always been that the only the only the only way any anything coming from bethany's camp can be exculpatory is is one of two ways either she puts coburger somewhere else or she puts somebody else in that house. Right. Now, since the defense has come out saying there's no connection between Koberger and the victims, I would I would allude and believe that that would include um, the, res- the 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 roommates. You know, I think that would be a connection through roommates. And so, um, if there's not a connection between them, then that leaves one possibility, and that is that perhaps in a statement somewhere they have reason to believe that she thinks that it was somebody else in that house whether she hurt somebody else or, or something to that nature. That's that's mm-hmm. the only logical explanation that I can come up with uh, that could be exculpatory. Now, their idea of what exculpatory is or could be are, are two different, you know, could be something different. Yeah. Uh, maybe perhaps um, they're going to try to say that <clears throat> the crime happened at a different time. Let's just say mm-hmm. maybe at, you know, 3.30 or 4.30 or, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, times that Brian Koberger's phone were on and you know his location is um, provable that he wasn't there yeah because like I you know he's not giving any specific real time frame you know basically they're trying to trying to claim that sometime before midnight on the 12th all the way to some unspecified time on the morning of the 13th he was just driving around some rando location really so I mean they could really fit anything that they needed to into that if they needed to you see that the one thing i don't like about it uh, about this is why not indicate where you were you know like for instance if he were to say is like you know i was driving around i drove to this town and then to that town and then to that town that way they can go check 
you know, cameras and determine that you were there. Yeah. And if the, you know, the street cameras and things like that are surveillance yeah. and that would put you somewhere else other than the resident's house. Mm -hmm. And that would be exculpatory evidence, but that's not the case. In my opinion, this is another strategy of not applying exactly where he was. So that way, as his team reviews the uh, evidence that's being presented, he doesn't fall into a situation like Alex Murdoch did where he was saying he wasn't at the kennel and then there's evidence of him being at the kennel. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think he wants to say, oh, I was over here. And then there's evidence of him not being there, never showing up, never pulling in and or him being somewhere else, which would indicate that he's lying. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to show any any. Uh, you don't want to get disproven of lying at any point because his whole alibi will fall apart yeah everything will mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i think this guy well like my my thoughts on guilt at this you know prior to this document like I, i've been open about it was about 70 75 percent i thought brian Kovacir was the guy um this has probably put me closer to 85 <laughs> percent and i'm sure as more more information comes out the more you know, that's going to go up. I think they got their guy. You know, the fact that his phone was off during the time and then turns back on, that just has always stuck out to me as being um, a coincidence that I can't oversee. You know, the likelihood of that being coincidental is just so small. Now we know for a fact that he had, you know, according to his you know, alibi, that he wasn't with one of the victims. He didn't pull up. He wasn't. Uh, what are what are some of the major theories that were out there that maybe perhaps he was a uh, an informant? Yeah, he was yeah. with Bethany, an informant, or he saw the crime and he didn't want to come forward with it. A bunch of things. So all none of those things were true. He was, at least by his own admission, driving by himself. Yeah, it doesn't say that he was with somebody, or he would have said I was on a date. Or no, it says Mr. Coburger was out was out yeah. driving alone. Also, this so, this discredits the girlfriend at his house too. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've heard that one. I've heard that. Okay, so mm -hmm. let me ask you this then. So if we're gonna take what the defense is stating about him not having any connection to the victims, and to you that also means no connection to Dylan and Bethany, what what connects him to them? How would he know they existed to kill him? See, for me, I. I don't think that this crime necessarily was um, the target, in my opinion, wasn't necessarily these victims. You think I think it was, it was Rando, Rando? I think it was a combination of a lot of things. So if you, we look at Koberger's life in in, his, in total, he he came he overcame a lot of adversity. He was mm -hmm. overweight. He had drug abuse, those type of things, and you know he lost weight. He had a you know weight transformation. He ended up getting a you know, going into a PhD program, one of only two students that was recommended out of the sales uh, from his professor there to be in the PhD program, all these accolades. And the first time that he's out there on his own, things start going awry. Now, we know that according to the probable cause affidavit that he applied in the fall for the Pullman Police Department intern position. We also know based on emails that had came out that he had applied in the spring. So if he's applying in the fall, that leads me to believe that he didn't get the one in the spring. So you have this guy, in my opinion, who has to be the smartest guy in the room, you know, has to be, you know, a little bit narcissistic is going from a place where he's, you know, advancing. He's top 
top of the, you know, student in his class to a place where he's failing as a teacher's assistant. You know, students are reporting him for being a bad TA. He's getting in arguments with his, with his professors. Um, he's about to lose his job as a TA. He's not getting the intern position in a place where if you go and look at the probable cause affidavit, he states that he wanted to assist rural law enforcement officers with better analyzing and collecting, um, you know, technical forensic data. Yeah. To me, like that was a dig. Stuff. That, Yeah, that was a dig. That was saying that you backwoods law enforcement guys don't know Jack and I'm here to help you. And that's the way I took it when I read that. So you, know, you said you said that he time. applied. You said he applied for the internship twice. I didn't. I didn't know that he had applied twice. I thought it was just one time, and he just didn't get it. So there was two times. Well, well, what I said was that the probable cause affidavit stated that he applied for it in the fall, but we know from emails that he met with the chief for an application in the spring as well. So my assumption is that you know when you, from my understanding, is when you apply, you apply in the spring ahead. So you would apply in the spring mm-hmm. to be an intern in the fall. So if he had applied in the spring, uh, my assumption is he didn't get that interim position for the fall. Now, that's just speculation and assumption. I mean, perhaps maybe he did. Yeah. And he was an intern police officer during this time and he had to reapply for the spring. I don't know their standardized operations or procedures when it comes to those type of things. But I'm assuming that that's not the case and that if he had to apply again in the fall, then that would have meant that he didn't get the job in the spring. And there's been rumors he didn't get the job in the fall either. Yeah, so, I heard that from the beginning that he apparently never got that internship that we did know about from, you know, right after his arrest, which was curious but, to me because he's supposed to be right. Like Mr. You know, top, top, you know, top notch brain. So that yeah, was interesting. But it's like a lot of things, especially when you're applying for, for, um, for any, I guess, police or any uh, military kind of, jobs it depends who applies with you like i have a friend whose son just graduated from the fire academy top of his class passed every test has applied to like four stations and they're taking you know ex-military vets first before they take um civilians so that Mm -hmm. that can happen too yeah and so for me i think that the revenge wasn't necessarily these girls and, and Ethan. I think it was it was probably the area, the school, law enforcement in general. I think he was upset with all of those. And I think he was looking for a crime that was going to create national buzz in the manner that it did. And, you know, I think he chose, you know, I'll be honest with you, I think he chose this, you know, these individuals because you know, they're white blonde girls. And when you look at a bunch of cases that have gotten notoriety or that buzz, that's been the situation. And so I think he chose these young ladies because I think he knew that this would be something that would um, possibly be a huge, you know, worldwide thing. And I think he wanted to make an example of them and he almost got away with it. You know, had he not left the knife sheath, in my opinion, uh, they would have they would not have found it. And uh, well, I mean, but, but how would he have even known who they who they are? I mean, it's a whole different town. He's a teacher over there. And then oh, I'm sure I'm sure he ran into him, you know, one place or another. But I think it was just completely random. I don't know. I don't know. That's what I'm trying to figure out, because Kaylee was really hesitant to even go back that weekend. 
Man. And then she shows up in a vehicle that she's never been there before in, in, in a time that she wasn't even supposed to be there. And this stuff happens. And it just seems really unlikely to me that somebody can just randomly pick a house with people in it that, you know, a couple of them weren't even supposed to be there. It's dark. It's three stories. I mean, if we're not supposed to believe that there is any connections to them, that means there's no social media connections or anything of him stalking them. How would he know how to maneuver to um, that house? In I'm, eight not, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that's true. That's that's the perspective of the uh, of the defense based on the information and the evidence that the uh, the prosecution has. That doesn't mean that there isn't that that, that didn't happen. You know, mm -hmm. we have to remember that there. Brian Koberger and his what he put in his essay was that he wanted to help rule rule you know, law enforcement with technical forensics or whatever, right? Well, he would know how this crime would have been investigated to, uh, forensically, technologically. So I think there's no, it's not a coincidence that his phone turns off 10 miles away from the residence, the victim's residence before and turns back on 10 miles away. I think that that was purposely done, you know, and like I mentioned before, According to the state's document, there was one where they were talking about the genetic tree and how the FBI cannot use that genetic tree unless there is no other. Um, that's the last resort to pull up a lead. That means that they had no idea that Brian Koberger was the guy. They may have had his name. They may have had his picture and his driver's license number and his phone number and all those things, but they didn't think he was the guy. And, you know, per that statement in the state's paperwork stating that that is the last ditch effort that the only way the FBI can get involved is if all conventional law enforcement uh, strategies have been used and there is no lead. And so based on that alone, that indicates that they didn't know who Koberger was when they got that. And they got that name December 19th, which makes sense because yeah, I agree he was with in that, the Poconos. Actually. Yeah, he was in the Poconos and they had no idea where he was. Yeah, I do. I, I, I do. I do actually agree with that because I was re going back over the timeline and whenever they were saying that they were taking cigarette butts and doing other DNA analysis. I mean, it did seem that they really kind of had like no idea what direction to look in at first just by that. But I would love mm -hmm. to know why they're still I mean, we don't know where these DNA profiles were exactly found inside of the house, but I would have still have liked to have known that they took the same amount of effort to identify those as they did the one on the knife sheath. Cause it easily could have been more than one person. And it seems like they didn't consider that. Well, I'm, I'm sure they did. And that's probably in the discovery. I think there's an important date on that, um, in, on that piece of document. Uh, and that's December 17th. It stated that as of December 17th, there was unidentified um, DNA and, and whereabouts or in areas where the bodies were. And, you know, at that time, it was unidentified to the lab. Well, as of December 17th, so was Koberger's, you know, DNA. They didn't get his name until December 19th. So, you know, how could have they have done a, a search on those guys if they're still waiting for the DNA? So I think it's just a tactic, in my opinion, to create reasonable doubt amongst the masses in the court of public, appear, uh, public opinion, to be honest with you. Hmm. And so... Um, but you know, when when I saw that, I was like, "Yeah, that, that that's what that seems like." It's more more or less to be, but yeah, to me, I think that this was more or less, you know, go full circle. I think there was a sense of like revenge here, but I'm not necessarily thinking it was directed directed towards these, you know, four individuals. Um, you know, he 
there's that time where he stopped on Nevada Street, right? And I think he was there for about like nine minutes or something. Isn't there like a WSU building around there? Um, honestly, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It's been a while since I looked at that map. Let me see if I can find it. I don't know. It's just, it would just seem really strange for someone to have known how to, to maneuver this in the short amount of time that they did with the way that we're hearing things were inside of the house. I mean, it was difficult for them to find a trail leading out of whatever exit the person actually took. It doesn't seem like there was much of a trail in between the bedrooms where the, you know, four victims actually were three stories right. in the dark. You know, I just, it's just really strange that some, uh, there has to be, there, if it's, if it's him, there has to be a way, there has to be some sort of digital connection that maybe just can't be found because of how well he hit it because something's going to have to connect something eventually. Right. No, I, I agree. So he was traveling north on Nevada Street, which is right here. Mm, you mm -hmm. see on camera. This is the area. I'm not sure what this area is, but I think this is has to do with uh, uh, WSU building. My, my guess is somewhere out there is a hole, and inside that hole buried are electronical devices used to plan this and the murder weapon dug deep in a hole somewhere. Uh, I think that this night he came out here, he parked here for nine minutes to go pick up all of, all of the stuff that he used to plan this event. He knew he was going to do this crime this night at this time. And so he picked up everything and had it prepared and planned ready to go. Uh, that way when he left the victim's house, not only was he going to discard uh, the weapon, but all of the evidence that would have been used to plan this this crime, in my opinion. See, and I'll I'll play on your theory, but I'll give you a different location. Where do you think it's at? That Johnsonish area, because whenever the other that's another part that I've always thought of. Because after they claim that he went down to the coffee place and then Albertsons, and then there was like a time frame where he was in that same-ish area for like, what was it like from five to 8 PM and his phone went off for three whole hours. I mean, I've yeah. looked at both sides of these things and that was one of the, the thoughts that I always had was that's a strange area to just go into. And then we never, you know, they don't say he ever goes back to the Moscow side literally ever, but the shopping's so good in Moscow, he went an hour South to get coffee and hit up an Albertsons randomly for what reason? Yeah. That taint, right. that same, you know, more countryish area where it went off. That's one of my what ifs. Yeah, no, I mean, there's there's a good possibility. I mean, I think that somewhere out there altogether is all this stuff. I, um, or it could be all in separate places, you know. Um, but I think that if you found one of those items, whether it's a laptop or a burner phone or or, or something else, I, I think that the uh, there would be an opportunity there to to really fry this guy through nail him to the wall. Um, you know, but those things, to my knowledge, haven't been located. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I don't I don't know the I don't think prosecution has to disclose that to the public if they were to. So, you know, they may have found something, found something. I honestly more, I, I don't think at this point they have to at all. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think so either. I don't think so either. Um, but when it comes to this case, do you think Koberger, if involved, do you think he did it by himself? 
I, I can answer a little bit. All right, uh, give us that answer, Big Boo, first. Only because, like, my percentage of him being guilty, even though he's innocent until proven guilty by the courts, is about 90-10. That 10% doubt that I have is when he got arrested, when he asked if anybody else had got arrested uh, also. So, I mean, everybody says he could be worried about his family, but why would they arrest his family when he's a suspect? So I think maybe there was somebody else involved, but that's the doubt that I have in my head. Gotcha. That one question that keeps coming up when I think about this case. Me too. Are you there, Jules? Yeah, you're going to have to um, repeat the question. I had to say something to my kids so I didn't hear you. No problem, no problem. What I said was, um, given everything that's gone down with all these motions and stuff, if mm -hmm. Brian Koberger committed this crime, and that's if, we're still saying if, we don't know if he did or not, do you think that he committed this crime alone? I think if it was him, probably. Or do you think, do you think the because perpetrator, whoever did this crime, got, well, let's rephrase it. Do you think whoever committed this crime was alone? Or do you think this was a two-person crime? It's really hard for me to see this being a single person situation. And I mean, I, I know that people, you know, think that it is possible. And I know that it is probably physically possible for people that are trained to do this kind of thing. And I know people say, you know, he was built and he can run. But there's no way that in an eight minute time span for the exact same argument that people are claiming, oh, it's plenty of time. Okay, well then explain to me why no one on either either floor heard anything at all enough to be able to call 911 or make any sort of phone calls whatsoever in eight minutes. If we have TikTok activity, if we have voices being heard, if we have Dylan being awake and opening the door a whole bunch of times, if we hear, it's okay, I'm here to help you. Obviously, there was things going on and normal talking voices could be heard. So if there's, you know, two people being taken out upstairs... Ethan and Dana right underneath, if that is the order, didn't like hear a commotion and think to call 911, let's reverse it. We see a big old boy like Brian, because he's actually a lot bigger than I thought he was, honestly. I had to like go back and really take a look at him. He's a lot bigger than I thought. And then we can put him against Ethan. That wasn't a quiet fight. You're watching UFC mm -hmm. this entire time. Him and Ethan would, be, would have been going at it just because of the noise levels. No one would have been even groggy after the first like 30 seconds of screaming. And it's just really strange to me that four people could be taken out in such a violent way by one person with a manual weapon, but nobody heard anything enough to call 911. But, you know, Dylan's hearing things and cameras are hearing things. It just those that's where I'm finding this this block on my brain about how that makes logical sense. Right. Well, the, the camera there doesn't pick up any screen so we can. You know, according to the probable cause, and I'm sure during trial, once the you know the camera is brought out and the audio uh, the audio is brought to light, um, mm -hmm. we'll be able to hear exactly you know the real audio. You know, I know there's a lot of audio yeah. that's out there. I don't think any of it is real. I don't think we've I heard don't either anything that's real um, from that night. No, but I agree with that. Once the real audio is put out there, and when we don't hear screams, you know, I I was looking at. At some pictures. So I had uh, Mikey. He's one of our, our members and and, and uh, mods in the show. He, he he sent me a bunch of pictures from early on in the investigation. And and there was there was some where you can see the uh, the mattresses coming out mm -hmm. and the way one of the mattresses was stained. It appeared that the neck was targeted. You know, that would explain to me 
the lack of noise, lack of scream, and how quick somebody could succumb to that without giving up much of a fight, especially if, you know, the first two victims were were asleep when when the attack started. And so, you know, that's the one thing that kind of leads me to that explanation. Now, the rest of that, you're absolutely right. You know, the the doors opening, you know, people talking, things like that. You know, it is a huge, huge question and and concern mm-hmm. for, for many people as to like, you know, why 911 wasn't called, you know, for eight hours. Yeah. Go ahead, Jules. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, it, it's just also really strange to me that we're supposed to believe that, you know, Murphy wasn't barking his head off. I mean, even a dog that's docile and, you know, nice and quiet, when they sense danger, that kind of goes away and they bark. So I don't yeah. see how the, the tone of the bark that, you know, Murphy would be sensing because of how dogs are, you know, knowing that something's happening to his girl, you know, to Kaylee, I just don't see how that tone of bark could be ignored by, you know, either one of them. I mean, even, yeah, even like, um, like some of us are parents, right? You can be sound asleep and you'll hear a thump. It could have been one of the kids running off the bed in the middle of the night, but you'll hear it mm-hmm. sometimes. Um, so the struggle is what I don't get either. Like, none of them heard them struggling a little bit, even if I mean, maybe he got one in the bed, the other roommate might have woke up in the middle of it and there would have been a scream or something. And I don't, I don't know how, how, how the other the surviving roommates couldn't hear that if there was a scream, but I don't know, just you know. I think there was it was JLR who was out there at night though, and he put out a video where you can hear screams throughout the neighborhood, you know from, and it's nothing nefarious. It's it's parties, you know, college kids having parties college and things kids, of that yeah. nature. And so, you know, I, I get that aspect of it because I mean there was there was, in that video he's like you just he just put his phone out and you could hear screams coming from a, a while away, and it did sound sort of kind of bad to me, but. You know, and you realize noise travels, it echoes, and things like that. Um, that it, it ended up not being anything nefarious. So, I mean, those things are possible there. Um, it is a puzzling, puzzling case. But I'm going to get some water real quick. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break. I'm okay. going to put on a one minute and 30 second commercial, get some water. And when we get back, we're going to talk about WSU. So don't go anywhere. This is our little Frenchie Nelson. Nelson was the runt of his uh, litter. And unfortunately, he is diagnosed with IVDD which resulted in him losing the ability to move his rear legs. Now we were left with a couple of options, one being put Nelson down or two, go through a costly uh, surgery, which wasn't guaranteed to work. We gave Nelson that chance and we went through the surgery. And fortunately today he can walk and and he's not 100%, but he's getting there through rehab and continual rehab. Bills are extensive and continuous and efforts to lower that financial strain. We've decided to do a raffle. This raffle is 
going to be of a four by three handmade quilt. This quilt was actually made by my mother-in-law. And so high quality, I uh, think you'll love it. It's a rescue themed quilt. So how do you enter? There is a $5 entry to get into the raffle. All entries will be through Cash App, dollar sign, Drunk Turkey Show to enter. In the description, make sure you put your shipping address and your name. If you want to put in multiple, you can do so. You can send in, for instance, 25 and also put in the description five entries. The raffle will be on August 28th. The winner will be chosen at random by a uh, wheel selector. Don't need to be present on the live. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you guys. And that was a uh, far raffle that we have going on for a quilt. It's a uh, four by three quilt that we mentioned in the uh, commercial there. Uh, or in a little break thing. Uh, we'll be giving away that in a couple of weeks. You got, you got a couple of weeks or a few weeks to join. Uh, description is below. So the <clears throat> water therapy thing was so cute. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's helped them out so much. Like, you know, when, when this first, first happened, um, he lost, basically it was like paralyzed halfway down and, and it was terrifying like to, to see him. And then after the surgery, it took him a while to be able to walk. And, um, you know, I felt so bad for him so many, so many times because, you know, I thought, man, was I being selfish by going through the surgery? Maybe I should have, you know, done something humane and put him down. Uh, but fortunately, you know, after about maybe almost a little bit over a year of therapy and being in that walking tank, he, he's, He's about 80%. He's about 80, 85%. We still cool. got some ways to go, but he's getting better every day. That is cool. Uh, let's see. Meg P comes in with a, well, I'm going to read some of these super chats real quick, and then we'll get into the Kim uh, discussion. Meg P comes in with a 490. Oh, Blue can't remove it while I'm reading it. My bad, my bad. <laughs> I hit the wrong button. There you go. In a chat group in the beginning of the case, didn't it say that Brian said he was set up by a security guard or by someone that believed? I heard that, but that was somebody random i actually saw that it was on facebook and it was somebody clearly pretending to be brian Koberger's sister knew nothing no none of the facts matched up with what they were saying it was complete in my opinion complete um fabrication and then mark willis had a ten dollar super chat saying bk would have been the most unluckiest guy on the planet his phone pings around moscow then turns his phone off and on that night well pretty obvious they got the guy and uh, thank you, uh, Dara Johnson, for your membership for three months. So, Kim, I mean, man, I'm already calling people Don't by the do wrong that. name. Jules. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Jules, you, you um, I asked you to come on. We were just going to talk about, you know, Idaho and Brian Coburger and new updates. You asked if we would talk about about Kim. So, I, I have no no idea what questions you're going to ask us about Kim. So, uh, but we're an open book. Um, go ahead. Okay, so whenever you guys talk to her, did she ever tell y'all that she never saw those messages, and that her kid refused to sign a state to sign a statement to give to the cops about with the information that they have? At the time that we talked to her, I don't think that the cop situation had occurred, um, as far as her daughter not wanting to sign anything. Um, my knowledge, she told me that her daughter was being. Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, she was against everything, and it appeared to her that she was hiding things, according to Kim. So she felt like her own daughter was hiding something, is what she was telling you? 
Right. She felt that her daughter was hiding something. And it referenced back to like a lot of things like she wouldn't she wasn't being. So from my understanding was Kim and her Kim and her husband were out there at, uh, in Pullman, Washington, and they got an alert at around 5 p.m. And they and she called her daughter to ask her you know, about the alert. And during that phone call, uh, you know, she had told her daughter. Her daughter had told her that she was already aware of the situation that had happened in the morning. You know, Kim stated at the moment she wasn't aware of the details of the incident. And so it wasn't until later that she found out that the 911 call came in at noon. And that's when she began to question her daughter based on what she had stated uh, the day of the incident, which, you know, by the time that she had gotten the details, it had been, I think, a day or two after the fact. And so okay. none of that information had come forward. A lot of folks get confused about some of the things that we say when it comes to Kim, they confuse. And I, I see it in our chat room a lot, like vetted information. Uh, yeah. That's something instance, else I was going to ask. Yeah. Her vetting who she is and vetting her information are two different things. Like, especially at that moment, mm -hmm. like there's no way we could know the extent of, of certain things that she was saying, but I will say this. You know, she told me the name of her, um, of the guy who was supposedly feeding this information, right? And this guy was a University of Idaho athlete. Yeah, he's I went and looked. He's alibi, apparently. I don't know how true that is either. Well, that's just what she and said. So, right, right. No, and I get that. Um, what, what she told me was that this person was the person that had told his girlfriend who told her daughter and so on right uh this person had a connection to some pie well she had given me his name i went and researched who this person was i found him i found him through the university of idaho registry and uh, their football team roster and long story short i found his social media which was years old found who he was in a relationship to which matched up with the name that she gave me to her daughter's friend I went to her daughter. I went to that person's Facebook account, and um, I then went through her friends list and found Kim's daughter amongst the friends. And um, I just went back and did that again. And Kim's daughter just recently posted up pictures of her uh, graduation at WSU not too long ago. Okay. And whenever you were on Kim's daughter's social media, did you follow it back to Kim's real social media? Like, are you? Are you? Do at you the know? Time, Real at the name? time, I do, and okay. at the time um, that I did my initial search, it did. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, yesterday, when I went back to go look, it did not. You know, but oh. Kim had mentioned that she was having problems with her daughter because of the situation. Her daughter didn't want the attention. Her daughter didn't want any of those things, and that they were having some problems. Well, and that's the part that I find interesting because I know that that wasn't a situation between Kim and her daughter, at least not what she was telling people until people started coming out and asking, okay, well, why isn't she out here saying anything? Because you want all these kids to come forward and you're claiming, you know, you need to come forward. You need to speak the truth. But then she's sitting there claiming, I refuse to let my daughter talk to the cops and they refuse to sign a statement. I never saw the messages. And so it's, a, it's just a lot of hypocritical stuff coming from her. And I just can't, I mean, I didn't want to completely discredit everything that she was saying because, you know, the police did state there were people there before they got there. And there's a couple of things that there's, you know, some questionable, questionable things for sure. 
But mm -hmm. I mean, I was really under the impression that she had seen these messages and, you know, people were claiming that, and this is another thing I wanted to ask you, did the original communication media that she claimed that her daughter heard this on, was it direct or was it group? So to me, what she had told me um, was that she called. That's she what I thought too. And then she told me that there was a series of phone calls between her and her daughter. Um, Snapchat. I, I saw somebody asking about Snapchat. I mm -hmm. don't recall that being uh, a factor between her communication with her daughter. But what? Okay, so that's the part that I'm trying to figure out because for a while now, when she would get on, let's say, Dago's panel, and you know, mm -hmm. she'd be talking about it, she was saying that the girlfriend which is the ex-sorority sister technically because this girl doesn't even go to that school and didn't go to that school at the time. She was a nursing student in Spokane that was there that weekend. Correct. Which is the girlfriend of the guy that's close to Jack, connected to Jack D. That this right. girlfriend directly called her daughter on the phone. And so for like two months, I've been trying to get Kim to answer, okay, you said that this was a phone call, a direct phone call from this person to your daughter. Did you hear this phone call? Because y'all were supposed to be together. You said sure. you picked them up to get groceries and stuff. And then all of a sudden, once she saw my question about the phone call and asking if she'd heard the phone ring, did her daughter step away to take a call? It switched to a group Snapchat. And I was like, that's not what she's been saying. Right. You know, no, we I have all the issue aspect. with Snapchat just, you know, magically disappearing. Because what she had so. told me was that her when the probable cause affidavit came out, then it wasn't as... It wasn't to what, especially what Dylan's story was, wasn't what her daughter had heard. And at that time, her daughter was with them. I think they were on Christmas vacation. And so um, she stated that she asked her daughter about that and that her daughter stated something to the effect, that's not what I was told. And I I'm, I think, I'm not 100% sure, I have to go back and, and listen again. Uh, but I think she said that her daughter went and made a phone call to her friend referencing um, what the probable cause affidavit stated and how it was inconsistent with what she was being told. Hmm. And yeah, so, but yeah, she, she never, yeah, yeah. Kim never, you see, Kim, Kim didn't tell us that she saw, you know, anything, which is why like we, we try to emphasize that in our, in our, in what we were saying. In, in in our videos and if you go back you can see that we say that and we bring it up a few times that when kim had this conversation with her daughter and her daughter mentioned it being in the morning the first thing that we said was that wasn't in real time you know she didn't kim kim's daughter didn't tell kim that at 10 30 in the morning she told her i got a call you know i found out sometime in the morning that was late in the afternoon the day yeah. of the incident Kim didn't realize the details of that until a few days later. And at that point is when she got out the 1030 time frame. And so I've said it multiple times on multiple, multiple streams when it comes to Kim. I was like, is it possible that she was off by a little bit? I think so. You know, from one story to the next, things can grow. Now, when it comes to like some of the details that people have gone through with her, one, we've never talked about any of those details. You know, we've never gone through, you know, any of the rumors or the, uh, the things that she uh, puts together on her own. In fact, I want to bring up this. Um, oh yeah, there's a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, hold on, give me one second. I mean, I'm gonna have to 
stop sharing, present, share screen. And this is a um, this is a comment that we left on our actual WSU mom last time we actually spoke to people or spoke to her on our channel. It says from the few conversations that we've had with Kim. What she's told us is that she's got an alert to stay in shelter while in Pullman around 5 p.m. She called her daughter, who says she was aware of it and had been since in the morning. Later, as info comes out, she finds out that the 911 call came in at noon. She questioned her daughter about the time. That's when her daughter said maybe 1030. We never stated that, was, that she's, what she was saying was accurate, just that who she is, is is who she says she is, and that is what she has heard. I do want to emphasize heard. That the information, although it comes from the area, does not come from anyone directly involved either. And so, you know, I know when a lot of folks are are saying things like, oh, man, um, you know, she's going into detail about the injuries or things of that, that nature. Now, I really don't blame Kim for going into those things. I blame more the creators who are asking, what's your opinion on what's going on? What have you heard? that's going on what are the rumors from the school that are going on and then they blame yeah. kim or get mad at kim for answering those questions on her opinions on her thoughts and the rumors and things that she's heard you know it's kind of backwards to me you know i i would say yeah. if you don't you know instead of being mad at the at the person for giving for answering the question be mad at the creator for answer asking a hypothetical question in such a case yeah, I mean, I do agree with that. I mean, I've been trying to get her to just stay on track to her actual timeline of what she was told and that and that only and not go off into all these tangents. And it is really but, difficult to get her to straight up answer just so what time did well, you get this alert? What time did your daughter say that she heard this? Like, just give us one thing that right. doesn't change. Well, I think right. oh, go ahead, I think uh, from the few conversations that I've been involved with her. She she sticks about eighty percent to that same story, but then if something comes up, she goes down the, the rabbit hole and she just continues to go down. Mm -hmm. And then you have to put her back on track. Like, hey, we, uh, we were talking about this part. Let's get back on track because I mean, anybody theorizes they're going to go into their theories and what they found and what they read, and it all at the end just combines together with everything that we've learned or everything that we've heard over time. Right. And, and I'm, yeah. I'm reading this here from Melissa J. Shoes. I think it's re repenting the information as fact uh, is that's the issue and not clarifying that she doesn't know these things for certain. That can be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's what we discussed when we had her on our channel. We explained that. Well, let's break it down. You know, this information supposedly came from uh, the Pi Fi's. Right. And let's just yeah. say and let's just assume that that was just one Pi Fi and that 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 information came directly from either Bethany or Dylan. So that's a big assumption that it's not more people involved in between Bethany and the Pi Fi student that talked to uh, this Idaho athlete. Right. Let's just assume there's just one person. You have that person. You have we well, have Dylan or Bethany. Then you have the Pi Fi. Then you have the student. Then you have the student's girlfriend. Uh, that that person who is a friend of the daughter, which Kim's daughter. So that's five. And then there's Kim. So that's six people that that story goes from. So how, how big do you think that story can get from one person to another before it gets to the sixth person? Yeah. You know, one of the Getting things that she claimed, right. One of the things that she claimed was there was multiple people there. We know there was multiple people there at four o'clock. There was a DoorDash driver. And by four Oh four, at least one other person was there committing a crime. And so 
is it possible that that information got out and it went from somebody got a DoorDash and somebody committed this crime to there was two people outside to there was multiple people outside and something nefarious happened? You know, we, we really tried to stay away from those avenues because those things weren't proven. And those were, like I mentioned, uh, rumors. In fact, I think Enon Harsh came out on Truth and Transparency around you know, around the same time. And, you know, Lena asked him, you know, what are the rumors that are going around the town? And he stated, you know, one of the rumors was that this was drug related. This was, you know, somebody didn't pay something. Somebody didn't do something. And and it happened to do with drugs. Well, if, if Ian Harsh is hearing that and that's the rumors going around and it started off, even even Christy heard these rumors because she heard. You yeah, know, I that remember there was her an saying overdose. Mm -hmm. So there was rumors of drugs being involved. And if it, it manipulated to this huge freaking story, why are we surprised that Kim's daughter, who's a member of Greek Row, hadn't heard these rumors and hadn't told her yeah. mom when she asked her? And so, you know, I, I think that's, you know, I don't think that Kim is lying per se when it comes to the meats and the potatoes of what the story is. But I just don't know how accurate the information that she's getting because it does come from a game of telephone. And that's one thing that we've tried to air out. But then you'll have her go on a multitude of channels. And the question is, like, well, what do you think happened? And then she starts going down. Well, I heard this or, you know, this is the rumor that happened between this person and that person, whether it's from the student or the daughter still a rumor. It's not coming from Bethany. It's not coming from Dylan. You know, the only information that we took out of our conversation from her that was uh, very important was the fact that she did say that her daughter told her that she was aware at 1030 and she stuck to that story. And so we were like, all right, that's the only thing that is somewhat first person. Um, that's the only thing that we can kind of hold our hand on. You know, like I said, I, I, I did search who she was. She, she does. She is from Washington. Her daughter's and her son do attend WSU. And, uh, you know, that's as far as I can go with that information. Yeah. And I, but I, I just think that the, and I, that's why I'm, I'm really just conflict. I was really conflicted for a while anyway, because I just wasn't sure mm -hmm. what exactly, you know, she was telling us that was really actually firsthand information from what, you know, her daughter actually told her from that time to now because I know that all these different yeah. things and I know she's been talking to so many other creators and I have a lot of back-end knowledge about certain people that she has been talking to that she follow she's been following certain narratives of theirs even ones that have you know they've gotten a reaction from her about you know a certain thing and then I get the same information and I can see that it's all just she's going along with the storyline which is not okay, you know, because if, if you're claiming to have accurate information on a case, you can't be, you cannot go around behaving that way, for one, you know, and then she's just dropping all these names of all these people, and as Melissa brought up to her, you know, you're dropping first and last names, and you're claiming it as mm -hmm. fact, and then Kim yeah, says she has no regrets that she'll keep to those names, that, you know, she'd rather apologize or whatever, no, you're, you're doing dangerous things, like you're mm -hmm. saying that you want to protect all these kids, and that's why you want to come out and talk, but you won't let your daughter talk. She doesn't want to talk, but you're urging all these other people to come out and talk. And it just seems like it's just a game to her, honestly, at this point. I mean, that's just honestly how I feel about it. It's gotten that it's just gotten to be too much. I mean, I, I see your point. Um, I don't I don't not see your point. Like I said, Kim, Kim is a person that, you know, um, she's come on the show a handful of times. Uh, I don't I don't converse with her a lot, you know, every now and then when we do have our conversations there's been times where i think i was on the evil cj show and i express I exp expressed 
she thought I was saying that she was a liar, which wasn't true. I've never said that she was a liar or that she's not who she says she is. What I said was I don't agree with her story. I don't think it's real. I don't think the information that she was told was accurate, nor the information that she is portraying is accurate. And she took that the wrong way. And I was like, Kim, I've never said that. I've, I've told her that from the beginning. And, and she's realized that. And we've had our conversations about that. But, you know, outside of that, we haven't spoken in a while. I, I will say that, you know, I do find it kind of odd that, you know, as new developments come out, somehow she is, a, you know, she has a storyline for everything. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, for everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's so a, that's a problem you know, for me, too. That I, I find to be odd, you know, um, I, I see that, you know, like I said, do, do I think she's lying? I don't know, to be honest with you, uh, but she is who she says she is. And, yeah. you know, I, I can understand her fear. You know, if if you had two kids at WSU and there, you know, we have to remember Brian Koberger was on the loose for seven weeks. You know, w- wouldn't you deep dive into everything you possibly could? Wouldn't you look into everything? because? for the safety of your kids wouldn't you be well invested in that area i mean yeah but not hypocritically the way that she is she won't allow her 22 year old adult daughter to come out and you know speak these truths that she claims but she's putting five or more people's lives in danger by dropping all their information online and claiming that she's not regretting dropping those names into the scenario of responsibility for what happened here and I mean, she's she's wanting all these people to, you know, come out and talk like I'm like I'm saying, you know, come out and talk. It's only going to stop and this is only going to end and no one else is going to die. You know, you just have to come out and speak, speak your truth. Well, she's where's her daughter's truth. Right. Like, that's not. I I try to get I try to get her daughter to come on the show one time. And I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, uh, it sounded like things were going, you know, in in a good direction Mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, This was before. Uh, I think things. I think things went sour between her and her daughter. Uh, she said that her daughter was coming home and, and and some other things. And I was like, all right, that's cool. You know, I was like, hey, you know, is there a possibility that I can get her on the show? And she said she was going to ask her, and it just never, you know, came to fruition. So I knew at that point it was a possibility. But I think since then there's been a falling out, and and I think it has to do a lot with what what Kim is saying and, yeah. and Kim is doing. You know, um, I I don't disagree with that. You know. I also have a feeling that, you know, Kim doesn't like uh, sororities or fraternities. Greek row isn't isn't her thing. And so I don't know if there's an agenda there. I know that um, it can be perceived that way. It sure does seem that she does. She wants to shut down Greek life. Uh, but, you know, and maybe she has reasons. You know, there's been a lot of kids that have passed away that were associated with it, not just in that area across the United States. Oh yeah, I know. Greek Greek society in itself is a disease, honestly. <laughs> Andy Kane says, since I heard Marshall Mathers OP, I never trusted a Kim. <laughs> that's that's actually a pretty good one. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, to me, like I said, uh, who she is is who she is. You know, um, I know there's been questions and doubts of who she might be, but you know, I looked at the player that the person that she talked about and referencing that i think that in my opinion she knows certain people that are from the area and i think she's trying to fit them in a puzzle they may not belong for instance uh, when it comes to the football athlete or whatever you want to call him that that is supposedly the alibi uh, the reason why she said that was because she told me that at one o'clock in the morning she went back to her daughter's sorority house and 
that she didn't see her daughter's friend or that fo- that that athlete there, right? And yeah. then um, later on, the claim was that he was there, and so she assumed, or she had, I don't even know where the connection to be honest with you, but somehow because he wasn't there that night, she thinks that she he was with Jack. And I was like, I don't think you can connect those dots just because of that. Well, but yeah, but according to her, this guy is like Jack D's alibi in the police records, right? That's what he claims, but or that's what she claims. I I, I don't know. Well, no, wait, wait, wait. I don't know if she ever actually told me that. Well, she She said said that on Dago's. She said that on Dago's. Yeah. And that's why I'm like, okay, but if you saw that he wasn't at the sorority house where your daughter was, then that would probably mean that he's actually with Jack if he's Jack's alibi. I don't buy that. Two reasons. One, we have a picture of Jack that night at the corner club. This guy's not right. there. Yeah. Two, I know. Uh, Dave said that uh, athletes and fraternity students don't hang out together. It's they don't. Uh, it's very unlikely. And so he's an athlete. They're fraternity students. I don't think it's true. I think she. I think that maybe perhaps, you know, the boyfriend and the girlfriend were out doing some things in the parking lot or on a hill somewhere overlooking a valley and Ooh. they they weren't there yeah. and, and and kim just thinks because they weren't there and her daughter was being secretive about their whereabouts that he must have been involved somehow and i think that that's kind of her take on a few things here mm-hmm. and yeah. it's dangerous because she is somebody that is from the area somebody who you know she has children you know, her son was in the and the law program that Brian Kuberger taught. Now what? he'd never. Yeah. Now he didn't, didn't take know her class. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't take her, his class. He wasn't a part of his class. He, mm-hmm. he, he, his class was actually the classroom right next door to Brian Kuberger's classroom that he taught. Did she ever now say he, if you ever saw him like walk in the halls and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, she did. Crazy. They have a friend that took a class with Kuberger, uh, according to her. And this was something that she did tell me early, early on. That was yeah. one of the few things that we discussed was that that her daughter and her son had a friend that they've known since childhood that was going through that program. And that was a classmate or uh, one of the persons that Koberger taught. And so, hmm. you know, the only thing that I got out of that was that she claims that he didn't have any uh, that this student claimed that he didn't have any you know, scratches or anything that indicated that he was in an altercation. Yeah, right. And that he was a, a bit of a hard ass and that um, things kind of changed and he lined up. And that was basically it. That was the only the only information that came out of that. You know, yeah. I would have assumed that if, you know, she was going to be lying about a lot of things, it would have been about that. Yeah. I mean, that's why it's hard to try to like, I don't know. I, I just I also know the stuff that she's telling people in the background that's not being put out on, you know, YouTube. And she's saying some no, even wilder shit in the background. And I just don't. No, yeah, it's and maybe that's the reason why I just don't find her credible anymore, because she's gone so wild because there's still some yeah. things. I mean, there's even a part of the PCA that makes me question, the, you know, if maybe it's true, there were some people at the house and that's based off, you know, thoughts of a document. So, I mean, I don't I don't know. She's just gone so wild. I just can't with her now claiming she's never seen anything she's refused her daughter refused to sign a statement that just the whole stiz or snitches get stitches thing is so old school don't even count anymore it just it's just i can't she's just not valid to me in my opinion i mean again my opinion 
that just can be biased because I've just gotten really sick of all the stuff she's been doing. I, I will say this, and this is completely anecdotal, but my, my, my daughter who is um, 15, about to be 16 uh, last year in her high school, there was a situation where I found out something about one of her friends um, dealing with narcotics. And I wanted to go tell her school about it. And my daughter tells me word for word, you can't snitches get stitches. And I was like, what did you say? And I was like, why are people your age even saying that right now? I was like, but that's weird. My 16 year old would never make say that phrase. <laughs> you know, I have no idea why she said it You know, out here, at least, you know, 90s, I guess, are coming back. It appears. And so maybe the maybe the catchphrases yeah. are too. Yeah, I've noticed know, everything but, popular on TikTok is everything we used to jam out to in high school. And I'm like, this is not new, guys. This is all so old. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm quite comfortable at least. I have nothing to hide. <laughs> oh yeah, we've had plenty of conversations right. about things. If they didn't end up in ditches, we wouldn't have true crime. So, well, that's true. Stitches end up in the gym. I don't know. I just felt like if she if she really felt like what she knew was legit, you know, her daughter isn't there anymore. Apparently her son isn't there anymore. If it would be any time for her to have them come out and make any sort of validity to her statements, it would be now. No, yeah. I mean, like I said, when it comes to Kim and the information that she has, uh, I don't think it's very useful at this point you know i thought at the time that we interviewed her which was i mean everybody has to understand like when somebody comes forward to us we don't you know we don't know everything right off the bat right just kind of like this investigation you know people think that uh oh you know somebody got you know their life taken on one night they have to have all 100 percent of the evidence against the against the suspect the next day things don't work that way you know same thing when yeah. somebody comes forward to us you know kim came out to us and was talking to us about about this situation she called us i think it was like a monday night maybe maybe it was a wednesday night and it was on it was on a phone call and when i answered the call and actually i didn't even answer i uh, i was on another phone call and she had called like three times and i had recognized her the last name well i was wrong about the last name i'm horrible at names uh but i thought it was um somebody close to the case like uh i'll be honest i thought i couldn't remember what jack showalter's last name was i knew it was with an s and so when her name popped up kim s i was like it kind of reminded it was somewhat similar i was mm -hmm. like oh shit somebody from the, from the area washington state you know with a last name similar to what i think is is, is, is jack showalter's last name is calling so i'm gonna call this person back end up being kim and have nothing to do with the show walter but you know we, we called her back we got the information we got about 30 40 minutes of information and she said she had some other stuff that she wanted to share off off air you know we spoke to her for probably two hours and then again for another hour before we did our show talking about what she had told us and during that time i was vetting who she was and and trying to figure out that she was at least who she says she was. Now, I don't have the evidence in this case as much as probably, you know, although some of you, contrary to what some of you guys believe in the comment section, I don't have all the evidence. I, I, I can't possibly vet her to that extent, right? I can only vet that she was who she says she was. 
you know, yeah. you know, if I, if I, if I looked into her and I, you know, found out that none of the information matched up, I would never have came forward with the, uh, with the story, you know, similar to dot, you know, we got that information oh, yeah. from, from Brad Norton three weeks ago, maybe we haven't even spoken about it on our channel because we haven't found anything that corroborates any of that information. But when it came mm -hmm. to Kim, she was at least who she said she was. And so, you know, we came yeah. out with what she had told us based on that information. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, I, I can I can see I can see wanting to believe what she has to say if you could actually verify that her connections that she claims she has were real. But I still just I have a lot of issues believing her. And again, oh, yeah. that could and, just be and, biased because of her behavior here has just been so just yeah, ridiculous to me. You also have to remember, <laughs> she wasn't on every YouTube channel when she came and talked to us. I think she had been yeah. on one of the YouTube channel prior to us. Mm -hmm. um, and he turned on her too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 he was like a lot of people look at us and say, oh, yeah, we're the we're the ones that brought Kim aboard. And that's not the case. We We, we were like second or third fiddle to Kim. Uh, Kim had t contacted a couple of other creators before us and you know we you know the one that you're referencing who was strongly against us um, for bringing her out he was actually the first one to put her out there he had the same information that I had could have mm -hmm. easily vetted her but but didn't or yeah. claimed to with some other information that doesn't seem to be real but regardless um you know, she was who at least who she says she was. In fact, uh, Chronicles of Olivia just did an in-person interview with her uh, a couple weeks ago. Now, oh, I don't know if she? that interview. Yeah, I don't know if that interview is out yet or not. Uh, I know that because Olivia contacted me directly. She mm -hmm. was trying to get in touch with Dave and she wanted to do a. Um, I guess they have a uh, some sort of big signing or, or some publication. And they're doing some. Mm, I know all about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think it's slightly different than what. I don't know if it's the same as the stuff from. I'll send Brad. you. I'll send you private chat. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know if it's the same or not because I've heard about that as well. But supposedly there's some stuff that's going on out there, and she and Olivia told me that she met with Dave personally because I, I actually sent her his information. He was okay with meeting up with her, mm -hmm. and then he met with Kim in Mo, uh, in Moscow, or maybe it was Pullman. But yeah, she told me directly. She's like, yeah, I met her. She's a nice lady. This, that, and the third. Met in person. She is real. So like. So whatever this production thing is they're claiming to be doing, they're going to be showing their faces? Uh, I, I think so. Dave, too. I don't know. I have no idea. I'm like, not a I'm part telling of you now, I actually, I'll I've be honest with I you. I've said what I said, but if she comes out on national TV and shows her face and sticks to this story... I'll, I might have a change of heart because that's What's, a big, she comes out big like that. And I mean, they're going to vet the shit out of it too. Probably more yeah. than we can. Cause they actually have like legal sources well, to dig, dig. I, I would, uh, depends who it is. Cause like when we came out on, on whether Dateline or Nightline or whatever it was, they claimed that we make so much money off our merchandise when we only sold like four t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like if they if 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 whoever it is that they're doing this with gets them to produce proof that can be shown to the public, I mean, it'll be kind of hard to deny it then. But it doesn't help that, you know, if this does happen and something gets out on TV, 
then people are going to go all over YouTube and they're going to hear all this crazy shit that Kim's been spewing over the past couple of months. And then all these people's names are going to be being looked into and all this crazy stuff's going to start over again. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's just like a, like what we said with the, the date night thing, like I said, uh, their producer must have been from Houston because they chopped and screwed the shit out of our interview. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't happy about that either. They did. They did you guys pretty dirty, honestly. They did. They they, they, they took some of the words from a different sentence and they put it together like you wouldn't chop and screw. So mm-hmm. it, it is what it is. You know, we we when we did that, um, they emphasized that this wasn't had any had nothing to do with Copaca or the Washington Post or any of those things. And is exactly what it was. But, so they just lied to you. <laughs> yeah. it's not like that was, ex- yeah, because we, we, that was one of our concerns, you know, when we went into it. And we're like, why are you choosing us? Like, well, we think this is the future of true crime. We think that, uh, you know, um, the way people gather news nowadays is through um, YouTube and social media. And, you know, we're trying to gather information or some shit like that. I can't even remember. It was a bunch of bull crap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I kind of picked up on it right away like after we did it i was like why the fuck are they choosing us excuse my language but i was just like we haven't we haven't done anything in this case like all we do is talk about um what's going on why would they choose us like 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 we haven't like in the gabby petito case there was youtubers and social media guys that were out there and they found video of of Gabby Petito's man and all these other things. And I understood why they would go and interview people like that. But I was like, we, yeah. you know, at that point we hadn't interviewed Christy or anything. We talked to a couple of, you know, we talked to a former friend of Brian Koberger's uh, named Bree uh, on the channel, but that was probably the extent of our true closeness to the case. Mm-hmm. And so it is what it is. You know, after uh, was a crime circus, he did a, another piece on Brent Copaga's friend. I yeah. told blue and Jaime, I was like, man, NBC probably going to call us now trying to get an exclusive. We didn't have shit to do with that either. <laughs> yeah, he went in on Darren. He did. I yeah, watched I that. Saw that. Yeah. yeah. And we have nothing against that guy. Like, you know, I know, I don't even know if that guy, I don't think he even watches our show or any of those things. So, but mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's super unfortunate. You know, us as a channel, regardless of what, you know, m- mainstream media tries to paint us out to be, it's not going to change our focus or our thoughts. You know, um, we noticed that after the uh, Washington Post, right, they try to, we we saw people in our in our live chat that were trying to t- bring up Brent Kopaka quite often. It was like I felt that, and this was before the piece had came out. I even mm-hmm. told the guys, I was like, "Yo, I think these guys are trying to trip us up. They're trying to get us to say something, and and they know that they, um, you know, kind of screwed us over. Mm-hmm. And I think they're trying to see, you know, make us vindictive." and say something against Darren or, or Brent because of the negative publicity. But we didn't take their bait. We're like, no, nah, we're not stupid. Plus, that's not what we're about here. You know, what we're about here is just talking about, you know, either, even if it's not even true crime, if it's about, you know, the UFO hearing, being true and honest about the opinions that we have and stuff. And we're not trying to, like in this case here, we're not trying to solve it. We're just trying to talk about the information and give our perspective of it. Mm-hmm. you know and so and and, and that's what we kind of told you know we we told that to to dateline too we're like because you know, they they were coming at us saying that you know do you think you know what what are y'all thoughts on the term like crime salute do y'all consider yourself crime salute stuff like that and we're like no nah, no nah, because we're not 
we we go we deep dive into things like the probable cause affidavit, the, the documents from the court, mm-hmm. but we're not on like Reddit or or on 4chan trying to you know put pieces together like a riddle or any of those things. And so, uh, you know, we thought they were barking up the wrong tree when they got us and thought they were going to be boring, but they can end up being hit pieces. So, yeah. But lesson learned, lesson learned, you know, fool us once, shame on you, fool us twice, shame on us. We took that on the chin. We learned from it. It was our mistake. And um, Netflix, BBC, uh, who else was it? I think there was another two other huge mainstream places that were asking for us to do interviews and all this other bull crap. That all has been since canceled. Yeah. I thought it was something like pretty cool, but when, it, when we got trashed by the other ones, we're like, okay, BBC, I have to talk to you next time about something else. Yeah. Yeah. Because we, we actually did a small little like conversation with the BBC, and they're like, it's, you know, th- this will be in preparation for the next step. And then they came back and talked to us after Dateline. And I'm like, hey, we're ready to send cameras. Like, nope, <laughs> that's not happening. <laughs> uh, so uh, you were going to say something, Jules? Oh, well, one second. I got to talk. No problem. No problem. Somebody asked if I could take a shot tonight. I had to work tonight, guys. I can't. I was drinking a good old blue Gatorade to get try to get refreshed. Uh, Canadian true crime buff comes in with a ten dollars super chat. Hey Daniel, I'd like to donate, but Cash App doesn't let Canadian doesn't like Canadians. Is there another way to donate? I think we have PayPal and uh, Venmo. I'll get those things orchestrated. I think um, what I'm also going to do is so it's a little bit different um, on on uh, getting like super chats and stuff through YouTube. YouTube doesn't give us like the full amount. They give us like 70 cents on a dollar. So they take 30%. And so in order, you know, I, I was thinking that maybe perhaps we can do something where um, you can just super chat um, your donation in to be entered and just email us your shipping information. I think I'm going to go ahead and do that. If you guys want to enter into the contest using, if you're not from the United States and you don't want to use Cash App, uh, you can enter in. It, it, it would have to be, a seven dollar super chat minimum for the donation because of the fact the way um, um, YouTube takes their their donations out. But if you guys would, if you guys like, you can just enter in um, the Cash App and True Canadian um, crime, um, crime Buff. If you want, just send in a screenshot uh, to our email, and our email is drunkturkeyshow@gmail.com with the screenshot of your donation through. Um, on YouTube Messenger, I mean, not YouTube Messenger, on YouTube Snapchat, uh, Super Chat, and uh, with your shipping information, we'll enter you into the contest. Yeah, I think yeah. We, we do got PayPal and Venmo. Steelers fan, if you can put the PayPal or Venmo into the um, live chat, that'll work as well. So on, on the Liquid IV, I've had tried it. It is super stuff, but you got to be careful with those kind of additives to your drinks. Um, I work in an office that sees a lot of people come in for dehydration and stuff like that. And some people think liquid IV is going to help them. And it does. But you got to remember what else you're taking. Uh, we had a story not that long ago of somebody coming in, muscle cramps. And they're like, 
I don't know why I'm having muscle cramps. I'm doing everything right, taking the supplements, taking this. I drink like two liquid IVs a day to keep hydrated. But they were also taking B12. And if you look at the liquid IV pack, it's pretty much B12. So you're just loading up your body with B12 and you're poisoning yourself and giving yourself stuff. It's just giving yourself muscle cramps for that reason. So you got to be careful with the stuff you add to your drinks. It's your story, man. That's why you only add whiskey or liquor. Uh, Angel D comes in. <laughs> your reason why, yeah. Is uh, $2. Thank you for being here, Jules. Uh, and Canadian True Crime, I was saying, if you want to just take a picture of this, screenshot it, and send it to my email, and we'll uh, put you in. Uh, so you, you were saying there, Jules, if you're back. No, I just said, you yeah, know, I, I agreed that they uh, they definitely had an agenda with the way that they did that interview with you guys. I mean, I know that, like, I was, we, me and you were already, like, in confrontations over the way that I was, like, reacting to certain things, but I totally agreed that they were bullshit on that. That was dirty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, but like I said, man, you know, we'll take that one on the chin. We, you won't see us on uh, on, on Dateline or any of those things. Even even if Blue ends up one day getting abducted by aliens and brought back <laughs> five days later, <laughs> and Fire the Sky, the sequel is brought. We are not doing an exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to answer the question that everybody asked. Did they touch your butt? No, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> uh it's only it's all it's crazy but blue it's crazy angel yeah. d was a member for three months uh, so do, do you think jules that this is going to go down on uh on october 2nd or you think that this court's going to be moved um i don't really see them doing anything in october i mean i guess it's still possible but it seems like they're kind of just both playing games with each other uh-huh so, I, I mean, I don't know. I kind of just, I mean, if they don't, if they don't, they haven't approved this like additional stay, right? Because then they file for a second motion of stay. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think they have either. And like, we still have um, the hearing on the 18th. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. All right, Canadian True Crime Buff. We will put you into the uh, the the, dra uh, the draft. I'm thinking football. We're going to put you into the raffle. Thank you so much for your donation. Thank you. That's Truly sweet. appreciate it. Yeah, and we will definitely do that. And um, yeah, email me either way. Then we, I can thank you appropriately. Thank you. Right here, right at the bottom. Email. Thank you. Man, that was awesome. That was amazing. I'm going to have to jump off here in a second, guys. Um, Take off. All righty, Big Blue. You have a safe one at work, my man. Yeah. I just want to say uh, I'm not going to be on the show tomorrow, guys. Sorry. Um, I want to thank everybody for the wish, the the hopeful thinking that my aunt would make it through her illness. She didn't. Uh, so she passed away the other day. Aww, I'm going to her vigil to tomorrow, and I'm going to her funeral on Saturday. So I want to thank everybody who sent her wishes, and you know, I'm letting my family know. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Blue, for coming on, man. Uh, my condolences to you and your family. I know I've said that privately already, but I wanted to say it publicly. And um, you know, I just want to say, uh, hope you, I hope you're safe trip out there, and uh, good luck to you and your family, my man. Thank you, man. I'll take care. Bye. You too, buddy. Bye, Blue. Uh, so, 
Yeah, you know, when it comes to this case, I'm, I'm like I mentioned before, I'm pretty positive they got their guy in Brian Cover. You know, is, is there a possibility that something comes out that it wasn't him? Maybe. Uh, I just the, the coincidences are too high for me, in my opinion. Um, you know, but you know, I, I was starting to think, to be honest with you, when it came to like, for instance, we'll touch on the dot situation. Okay. I thought that there was a possibility that that dot situation was um, done to, I guess, misdirect, you know, social media content creators on all platforms. I mean, in my opinion, it really took away from, you know, majority of content creators covering the Brian Koberger case from talking about anything concrete and real. Yeah. And instead kind of argue with each other. Mm-hmm. You're talking about dot, dot, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I almost thought maybe it was some sort of like ploy by the prosecution of the defense for us to stop talking about about the case. What What are your thoughts? I mean, I know she's fake. I know that she's not the person that she's supposed to be, but I know that she, you know, was pretending to be a real person that has an actual real connection to Dylan. But what mm. I don't, yeah, like I don't know if a lot of people like realize that that she wasn't just pretending to be some rando she was she was giving you know people a name and social media to check to verify that she actually had a connection to dylan but she was really really good at pretending to be this actual person when she's not and this person brayden you know she goes by brayden is someone Mm -hmm. who's been doing crap like this in true crime for a long time like apparently they're like a serial true crime troll on TikTok that has done this and harassed people like throughout the years. But people on YouTube just don't know who they are because there's someone who does this on TikTok all the time. And these are two different worlds. Every social media platform is literally like their own little atmosphere. And a lot of it doesn't cross. And so right. I I actually like I had been getting back end emails about this dot situation for over a month now. Before she ever came out and, and was being talked about publicly on Brat's channel, I was already getting, you know, hey, this person's saying this. I can't see nothing valid. You know, the people that I were hearing information from were never shown validity of who this person was supposed to be from mm-hmm. the people that were claiming she was who she is. And they asked for it several times. So that, that's why now that Brat's coming out and acting like, oh, she was lied to. I'm like, okay, but you, you know, you were talking to her for some time before you brought her public. You had a whole group of people working with you. There's no way that you didn't know that she was fake. Mm -hmm. There's just no way. Not with everything that I've been hearing on the back end of things. No, there's no way. And it, it took the camera slip for her to come out. And, you know, now we have the truth because their troll slipped up. I saw that. I saw yeah. that. I saw the picture. Definitely not somebody that you would expect to be in the early 20s Mm-mm. in college. And then even in Bratz Live, while people were in the comments, like, exposing it, Brad is blocking them so that the comments aren't showing up. And then as soon as the Braden person started hysterically crying, people recognized the voice and started calling them by their actual Braden name in the live comments, calling them out because they finally realized who it was. So wow. not only was she just faking the story, she was literally pretending to be a true person. Hmm. That's insane. I didn't yes, know about that aspect, insane. that she was pretending to be a true person. Yeah, I know that, the name that, of the person that she was pretending to be. Oh, wow. Wow. 
man, I, I wonder if there's anything legal that can be done about that. You know, I, I think maybe perhaps maybe civil, but I don't know if there's anything criminal. Yeah, I don't know, because the identity of the person that she was supposed to be isn't what's being put out there. It's being put out there by a false name. So I don't know how far like the, you know, impersonation type situation could go with that, because that's the only thing I could really think of. But if they weren't publicly coming out and impersonating this person, it was just within a small private group. I'm not sure how far that can go. Yeah, because, I mean, laws are different in every state. You know, the the the, the law that I can think of that is similar i think it's called um gosh i can't remember what it's called off the top of my head it was a new law when i was an officer and as i left it was coming in but it had to do with um creating fake profiles online but that was with the intent to bully it was uh an, an attempt to stop like you know, self-harm and things like that mm-hmm. and so um you know I wonder if that law can be put into place in 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 this type of scenario, um, but it should Maybe. be criminal. I mean, you're you're implementing yourself into a very high profile, or in any case, to be honest with you, you shouldn't be putting yourself into it like that. Well, um, and not just putting yourself into it, but you know, the longer this person talks, she went from, you know, saying that she was looking over a balcony and seeing some stuff far away happening in a yard to oh, she's walking over there and putting herself in the backyard of the crime scene in between, you know, that eight hour time frame, And I'm just like, bro, like, are you even paying attention to what you're, you know, like slipping out right now? Like, that's insane. No, nah, yeah, 100%. Like, you know, and, and that was, I'm pulling this up. She, she was claiming that she could see somebody by the, um, the, the sofa, which is mm-hmm. on the left side of the building, but from this apartment complex in a balcony, which would, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the balconies are on the interior side of the building. I think so. So it's almost impossible to see through that residence to see that. Yeah, it it, it was definitely, I'd heard about it. Um, people were telling me like, oh, I know somebody who said that they saw people congregating around seven something, eight o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I, I get that there's people that are saying that, you know, people were aware of that early and things like that, but. Like her parts of her story didn't make sense. Like she was up drinking and smoking till three in the morning and yet was awake at eight o'clock in the morning also to see all these things. It just, Mm -hmm. just those things didn't make sense. Plus she sounded like Candace Wells. Bro. Yes. That's the first, that's the first thing that I thought of when I heard the voice I was like, wow. And then, you know, coincidentally, and I'm not, you know, trying to be rude, but coincidentally, when her identity got dropped, she got some similarities to Candace Wills, too. So that was even scarier because she has a lot of features of Candace Wills. I'm just going <laughs> to say that. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah when, uh, when, I, uh, when I heard her, I was like, man, who, who put Candace Wells up there? And then, and then uh, some folks were saying, oh, it's a voice changer. I was like, that's not a voice changer. Nah. Like, everybody like, saw through that one. Yeah. I was like, there's no, like, you would, I think there was even like a noise in the background. And I was like, that noise in the background would have been altered if there was a voice changer. And it's mm-hmm. not. And so, it, it, yeah, it was clearly not. But, yeah, man, that, that was that was a crazy situation and a crazy story. Uh, it just kind of seemed like she was just trying to implement everybody that everybody thinks may be involved. Everyone from Emma Bailey to Demetrius to. Yeah. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And that's what I mentioned that in Dago's earlier. I was like, it's literally like she went to chat GPT and said, write me a narrative based on every conspiracy and rumor that has ever been created in the Idaho four case on every social media platform ever. 
And that's what she's been repeating. It's just a crazy mishmash of literally everything that we've been hearing. Yeah, no, 100%. I agree with you there. You know, if that was out there, I mean, I just feel like, you know, a lot of people will look at this case and say that there was a lot of mistakes made. You know, you have, you know, they'll they'll look at Brian Coburn and be like, oh, man, I don't think he would have made this dumb mistake to have driven a car that belonged to him there to turn his phone off during the crime, to leave the sheath behind. You know, let's take a, at the end of the, but the thing is somebody did do those things. Somebody did leave a sheath behind. Somebody did drive a white Elantra without a front license plate in the area. Why are we surprised if those dumb mistakes were made that somebody was caught? I, I guess maybe it's because it wasn't what people were expecting. Well, the mistakes that were made are the things that are like tripping me up the most. And that's just like honesty. I just don't, I mean, that's why I'm, it, it, when it comes to court, I'm hoping that they actually can prove some sort of connection to something. And this is the, this is the reason. Kaylee was not supposed to be there. She had hesitation mm-hmm. about going back. And he does not handle his phone situation after he leaves his apartment. That was like slip up number one is that he either didn't leave it there or he turned it off after he left. And that's why we even knew he left his apartment in the first place. And the only thing I could think of with those connecting is that he knew he had no choice because she was only there for that night and it was last minute. And maybe that's why he could have made the mistakes because the timing was just too, because she wasn't, I don't know. There's just so it it's the it's the mistakes that someone of with 10 years of doing all this that you know like you even mentioned were was highly regarded by his professors was recommended for things that literally, you know, handfuls of people get accepted for to drive your own vehicle mm-hmm. to, you know, end up on all these cameras to not turn off your phone until after you leave your apartment on the way to what you're doing. I mean, it's just so many mistakes that just don't seem to fit is is really my biggest issue with just the academia that we've heard, just all the academics with him. Right. But there is a difference between, you know, learning something and then putting it into practice. Like for instance, when you, you, if we were to break down the, the Linda Lane footage and not, not necessarily the audio, but just the visual aspect of it, mm-hmm. there, I think there's a lot that you can, you can take out of that video. Um, and you, you accompany it with the probable cause affidavit. So this person passed around three different times, right? Between 329 and 404. And then at 404 is when he did the fourth pass around. Now, if we watch that Linda Lane footage, it wasn't until the 405 um, pass around that he starts to act a little bit erratic. He does a uh, turnaround at 500, uh, apartment 52, 500 Queen Road. And then he tries to park in front of the house, but unsuccessfully does so. And then he does a three-point turn and comes back. Now, all those things happen after a specific time. That time is after 4 o'clock. Now, we know at 4 o'clock that Xana is uh, getting a uh, DoorDash delivery. Now, I could be wrong, but I don't believe you can choose your DoorDash deliverer. So given the fact that this house is in a weird location and it could be confusing for a delivery person to find it, I would assume that especially if this was a total Xana move, as was mentioned before, that she was, it was typical for her to order late. I would assume that she would know that it'd be probably be who of her to turn on a light or something to indicate where her house is at for the DoorDasher not to get confused. So I, I don't, I don't, I find it 
odd that the coincidence is that after the four o'clock uh, reception of that DoorDash is when this vehicle starts to act erratic. Now, this is complete speculation on my part, but what I think happened is at four o'clock, that DoorDash item is received and whatever was left to indicate that their house was where the DoorDash was to be received was turned off, whether it be a light inside, a light outside, whatever the case may be. Now, at that point, this became real to whoever is operating that vehicle. And you start to see some crazy stuff. You know, this person had driven by there three different times and each time had driven to the back of this apartment complex, driven by this vi the, the, the victim's residence and drove away. After the DoorDash item is dropped or, or picked up, this person is now doing some weird turns, can't park, doing a three point turn, comes back around. You hear a horn at 407. I honestly think that that vehicle is coming back around to park at 407. Uh, and that that horn is also him nervous, maybe moving things from the passenger seat to get ready to make entry into this residence. But you can see is the moment that this becomes real, all his training, all the planning that this person has put is starting to unravel right away. So this person can't even park. I do not find it impossible that he's going to leave something behind. Even BTK left a gun behind and had to go back and get it. So. You know, when things are going awry and things are going crazy, I mean, this leads me to believe that the person that committed this crime and the manner in which they were driving, they're already showing signs of mistakes happening and they haven't even entered the house yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I can see I can see that. I can. I mean, like I said, I, I look at both sides of stuff. So, I mean, I don't I totally see that. I just mm -hmm. what made him think that three minutes after getting a door dash would be the appropriate time to walk into a house full of people. Like, I don't well, understand he, I don't how he, he would have thought that that I don't would think be. He knew it had only been four minutes. I think that he had passed by, I think it was like at three 40 or three fifty something. And then he came back at four Oh five. So it had been about 15, 20 minutes since he had left. And so, uh, you know, I think at that point it got real for him and he decided to commit the crime that he was uh, he'd been planning. Right. But, pulls did, up behind. but didn't you just say that in, in your theory, in your, in, in your, in your scenario right now, that there would have been like a light left on for the door dasher. And then right, that, that light, case, yeah. that light would have technically been turned off after the door dash got there. He wouldn't have noticed uh -huh. that difference. I mean, cause if she just got it at, four o'clock and he drove by previously well i guess maybe he wouldn't have known how long it was off right exactly right because i think it was at yeah. 328 and then it was again like at three like eight minutes later and then it wasn't again until like 340 or something like that 350 i think it was like 350 then he passed by again at 404 and so you know it could have been off immediately after three I'm not sure, but, mm -hmm. you know, he ends up from my understanding and my conversations with, with people that are close or whatnot is that they suspect that he walked in through the back sliding glass door and opened the door and left the door open. Uh, in fact, I think it's Chief Fry. And I had found it here recently mm -hmm. um, had stated that the back door sliding glass door was open when they had arrived, was all, all was still open when they arrived. And he used the term still open when they arrived, when law enforcement arrived, meaning that it would have been, in my opinion, alluding that it had been open all night. So that must, be what, 
Okay, yeah, that's what Christy said, that she hadn't heard about the front door being open, that she'd heard about the slider. Yeah, and Christy told me that the theory was that they believe that this person that committed this crime opened the door and left that sliding glass door open, never even closed it behind them, and that the reason behind it was to touch things as little as possible to leave as little DNA behind it as possible. Uh-huh. And it kind of makes sense. I mean, if you look at some of the things that he did, he went through this person went through a lot of extent, extensive planning. You know, you look at the fact that the long trip from this house back to Pullman, uh, taking over an hour to get there when he could have just gone directly. You know, mm-hmm. the probable cause affidavit states that, hey, we assume that he would have gone directly there. It's a 10 minute drive. It talks yeah. about that. And I wondered why would they put that? And I think that the reason they put that is because that is conventional investigative skills and that this person knew that they would have been looking for a white Elantra 10 to 25, 30 minutes after the crime had been committed in Pullman. And that because he didn't pull in until after five in the morning is um, somewhat, um, I guess, before and uh, I guess evidence of planning that, hey, if I commit this crime, at this time, and they see me leaving at 420. They're going to see my car leaving. I think he knows that that's going to happen. He's mm-hmm. going to say to himself, if if I'm if I'm investigating this, and I assume that this person could have gone to gone to Pullman, at what time am I going to start looking for looking at the cameras uh, for white Elantras without a front license plate going through Pullman? It's probably going to be for maybe the next hour or so. And so he takes this long ass trip that takes him well longer than an hour. Uh, so that it's past the time that the law enforcement would have been investigating him. So, okay. So then why do you think he didn't turn his phone off when he went back the next morning? I don't think he ever thought he was going to get caught. Hmm. You know, I don't think he ever had to, you know, feel that he needed to explain that. Mikey Eskins on the $10 ship chat. I've been listening to work. Great collab. Love you, Jules. Blue, Daniel, Mods, chat, subs. Yes. Thank you, Mikey. Mikey. Appreciate you. Jennifer also comes in with a $10 super chat. Thanks for a great show tonight. Love it. Both channels. Thank you. And please hit that like and subscribe button if you guys aren't. And make sure you go and subscribe to Jewels of All Trade if you're not already. So can we can we can we talk about the piece the him going back for a second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. Okay. So I don't understand if Dylan and Bethany were really still asleep in that time frame. If he went back only because he realized he left his sheath and he ninjaed through that house in such a short amount of time and took out four people with one weapon and, you know, such a short amount of time. What do you think would have made him stop himself from going in there and grabbing the sheath? Because they state like I'm guessing that them claiming that he left at nine and got back at nine thirty two and he hung around in the area for 10 ish, 12 ish minutes is more of the like cast type information, the more precise information that we're going to be getting for the rest of it. So right. I'm, I'm trying to, I've been trying to just figure out, that's another reason why the stuff with Kim, I've always kind of, you know, up until she claimed all of this, I took some validity to it because I've questioned, he did all of this in such a short amount of time in the middle of the night, in the dark, in three story house. If they were asleep and nobody was walking around the house, why didn't he go in and get the sheath? He could have been in and out in like 15 seconds and nobody would have seen him. Well, I think there's a couple of things there. One, I think the reason why he went back is probably because there wasn't any news coverage or anything going on. 
And mm-hmm. I think he may have saw Dylan. Now, I honestly think that Dylan heard some things, but didn't think that it was uh, something nefarious and yelled out, shut up or something to that effect. I think that did happen. Um, in fact, Christy told me that those are some of the things that she had heard may yeah. have been possible. She said that she had heard that somebody may have vocalized something or text something or called something, but that that had occurred. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that if it did happen, if Brian was in tunnel vision, right, and he heard somebody yell, he may not have heard what was yelled, just the fact that he heard a voice yelling. Mm-hmm. You know, the at 326, he has seen on Indian Hills Drive, which is behind the police department. The reason why I think he was there first is because my assumption is that he was originally going to the residence straight off the bat. Mm-hmm. But at 316, uh, police were outside with those kids in the banfield. So my assumption is, is that he went back here to wait to see if when the officers were done and back at the police department and no longer in front of that banfield area. And so once he's got validation there, that's when he takes off and he goes to the uh, to the residence. Um, and he starts passing by, but I think that's what initially had occurred in that situation. Now I forgot what your what where I was going with that. What was the question again, or where I was going? Do you? Uh, well, oh, and of course, it's just it's just going off of you know assuming that he would right. have realized the sheath. Oh shit, and would have gone yeah. back. You know, if you're hanging out for ten or twelve minutes, but the sheath is still found later, what the hell were you doing for that ten or twelve minutes? Right, right, exactly. So what I think happened was that he he came over here uh, directly, and he was aware of how long it was going to take for police to get to this get to that residence. And when he heard somebody scream or yell, he he knew it was time to go. And so I think he left and took off at a high rate of speed, as the PCA says, and assumed that nine one one was called. I think that he goes back because he's not hearing anything, and I think that. Even though there's not news media or anything going on, it's still pretty risky to enter a building. There is the possibility that, um, you know, Dylan is in there or who I'm sure he doesn't know who. Maybe he does know who the person was that he saw, but I'm fairly positive. He, you know, he may not know where she's at in the house. Uh, If she's still in the house, she may have left and gone to a, uh, a different residence. Right. And maybe contacted police somewhere else. And they're over there and they're on their way and he doesn't want to get caught up in the house. And so I think he merely went back to see why there wasn't news coverage on, on the situation. And I think he was dumbfounded to find that there wasn't anything there. Yeah. I mean, possibly I just, if they were, you know, asleep, like they're claiming, then, you know, the cars would have all not been moved to show that somebody had been, you know, woken up and left to go somewhere to get help or do anything. The back door would have still been wide open if he's the one that left it open. If he didn't notice any changes, I guess that's the part that I'm not understanding. And maybe I'm just giving, you know, it too much credit. But I mean, he had to have gone over there for something if this was really him. And to me, the something would have had to have been, oh, shit, the sheath. Let me go see if I can fix this problem. 10 minutes, they're supposed to be asleep. Nobody's moved. No cars are missing. Doors open. Why didn't you go get it? I mean, there could have been also activity outside of the residence. Well, yeah, that's you because it's a neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. There could have been people out out and about. And that could have been what he was trying to do is to go back. But because maybe the neighbors were outside, you know, things were going on that he didn't have the opportunity to go in there without being seen. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's possible, too. 
I just don't understand why he wouldn't take the extra precaution to turn his phone off. You know, I, I think he wanted to, I think that was in his mind. And this is just my speculation where I think he, I think his revenge was more towards law enforcement and the universities of the area. Um, and I think it was almost like I had my phone, I had it on me. I turned it off precisely when I needed to turn it off. And I turned it on precisely where I needed to turn it on so that I wouldn't get caught. Yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, I've, I haven't not entertained that theory. I just don't, I just don't know how he would have been able to have maneuvered through the house the way that he did in the time frame that we're being given without having had time to study it. And that's why I'm trying to figure out, okay, did he just like randomly pick some party house? But I don't, I don't know. Why would you leave two people alive, especially whenever one opens the door? And you walk right past him. There's just a lot of things that well, are just weird, weird, weird. You know, I, when I talked to Olivia, um, who's been on location at that house, one thing that she had mentioned to me mm -hmm. was that the the size of the house is really, really small. It's a lot smaller than what you see on, you know, news coverage or pictures. Uh, everything is in a real tight, tight corner uh, mm -hmm. there. And, you know... So for him to be able to move back and forth is from one area to another. It's not, it's not a large, large distance. And then the other thing is to uh, maybe perhaps he wasn't aware of the layout of the house to that degree that we think, because he did pass in front of Dylan's room multiple times. And let's just say there is no connection there, right? Just as the defense claims that there is no connection between the victims. Let's just say there's no connection there. Why would he leave her alive unless maybe perhaps he didn't realize that was a bedroom door that he passed by because he wasn't aware of the layout to the extent that we think he is. You know, when I talked to Dave who had been in that house, he had told me that he didn't know that it was a bedroom this entire, that throughout the entire times that he had been in that house. Well, yeah, he thought it was like a closet, right? Yeah. He thought it was a closet based on its location. Yeah. I remember that. So, you know, and he had been somebody that had been there during the daytime, during the, you know, light. You know, I think that, you know, there's an important clue there that, that Christy said that law enforcement, from what she understood, is thinks that this perpetrator did this and left the door open without leaving, you know, uh, DNA behind. I don't think he would have tested out a door if he thought it was a closet because that's something else tangible to touch, to touch. That, would, that would leave his DNA behind. So I think that there is that possibility that he just passed it because he thought it was a closet. And when he realized it wasn't, it was just too late. You know, he heard somebody scream. He'd seen where she came from and he had to get out of there. Yeah, maybe. But then again, you know, you're talking about the size of the house that Olivia is stating that it's a lot smaller. I mean, that mm -hmm. kind of, you know, Dylan should have heard things and even more so with a smaller house. I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, there's I mean, a lot of things that, you know, I, I questioned why why they took so long. I mean, I think everybody did. And mm -hmm. I think that the, the 911 call would be helpful in this situation, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I think it would, it would clear up a couple of things. Like for instance, if it was publicly known that um, Ethan's best friend was a person that called 911, that he had gotten the phone call or, or however he was summoned to the house 
and that it was mere moments from the time that he got the phone call to the time that he arrived to the time that he was able to get the door open and police were called and that it wasn't this two, three hour scenario where people were at the house and things like that. I think that would help alleviate some of the speculation and and it would narrow down the possibilities of what really happened because, you know, that possibility has to remain open because it hasn't been disproven by law enforcement yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I don't appreciate how law enforcement was alluding to dropping the 911 call literally the day before they put handcuffs on Brian, because the second that happened, it's like they forgot they even mentioned it. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe that was just to, to get eyes off of what they may have been doing in Pennsylvania, you know, throw people into one direction while they're going and making an arrest somewhere else. Yeah. But I mean, I do yeah. agree that the 911 call, I mean, it would help a lot in multiple ways because you'd also hear your know, people's reactions, uh -huh. how they were saying certain things, words they were claiming, the way their emotions were. A lot of that would clean up some stuff, I think, especially if we knew for sure exactly how many people were really there who it actually was, because, I mean, it obviously wasn't just Hunter that they called over with the cops claiming multiple people were summoned. Right. So, I mean, a right. lot of stuff. And, I mean, I've even mentioned there's a possibility that, you know, what happened with the murders have nothing at all to do with this eight-hour delay. This eight-hour delay could have something to do with the survivors, while the murders mm -hmm. have to do with these actual victims. And there's a possibility that they have nothing to do with each other. They just, you know, it inconveniently combined because of the situation. Right. I just know that I'm, I'm really weary of them not hearing anything with the way that everything is being described. And then the PCA stopping the time of the incident five minutes after the car leaves the neighborhood based on the roommate's phones. What happened in those five minutes? Because it would have had to have been related to them knowing that there was a situation for them to put it at that end time. What happened related to the murders that didn't stop till 425? Well, I've heard now this, I think it was JLR who had put, put it out there that he had heard that there was conversation between Bethany and Dylan around the time of the incident, that there's text messages, right? I don't know where he got that from or how valid that information is or not. Uh, but, you know, I found a lot of the information that JLR has put out there has been valid. And, you know, if that ends up being the case, let's mm -hmm. just say, you know, I heard, I heard a, a rumor. I don't even know if I want to put it out there and I'm not, I'm not, in fact, I'm not, I'll tell you afterwards the context of it, but uh, that D Dylan and Bethany had messaged each other referencing the possible, what possibly could have happened in the house. And if that ends up being the case, do you think that it's possible that they could have messaged other people outside the house of something like that? If they thought something, of like, course. And, and, you know, is it possible that people woke up to messages like, Hey, Dylan said she heard something crazy and it sounded like this. You know, maybe that's why people started, you know, hearing about this earlier on than, than anticipated was because they did message people outside of the house, you know, and it yeah. could have been messaged out as early as four in the morning when this incident occurred. Because if they were messaging each other, mm -hmm. I don't see it as an impossibility that they would message other people outside of the house, too. I don't either. I don't either at all. And that's another reason why I took some of, you know, some of these stories maybe have some validity to them a little bit 
because, you know, these are, te- you know, I mean, not really teenage girls, but same mindset, con- you know, in reality, teenage girls mindset. Why wouldn't they be messaging other people besides just the person downstairs? But the thing about that is, were they just messaging each other? Or is yeah. there text messages on the victim's phones from Dylan and Bethany too, asking what the hell is going on? Because I know that Christy apparently had heard, or at least what she had relayed to you is that she had heard that Dylan had made phone calls to people, but I think yeah. Sleuthy posted something about how if the phone call isn't actually accepted, it doesn't even show up on a call log. So unless there's a physical like phone showing that there was a missed call or, you know, Dylan's made a call that didn't connect, I don't even know if we can really prove all that. Um, I'm fairly positive that they were able to see incoming and outgoing calls, whether they connected or not, uh, because they mentioned because I had asked her about that. She said that they had made calls to those people that had called uh, that that either she did answer or didn't answer uh, and that had left messages. They had called them to find out something. So I think that they did have a list of the persons or people that did call. They, they When I talked to her um, and she said that she had heard that rumor, I was like, don't mm-hmm. you have the phone logs? And she was like, yeah, we do. And she told me after that, because I had a couple of conversations with her. It wasn't just one. And it was in a different conversation where actually I wanted to clear up. Um, apparently she had said that she had never had talked to Dylan or Bethany. And then Steve said that one of the girls had been yeah. talking or something to that nature. Yep. And I wanted to clear that up because she had deliberately or specifically told me that they hadn't. And she was like, yeah, I wasn't intending. I wasn't intending on lying or anything. That had slipped my mind. I hadn't talked to him. Um, Steve had. And it was during, you know, and but that nothing came out of it, but that it was during that conversation um, when she had told me um, that they had checked the phone records and they hadn't seen Dylan's phone call at that time. Yeah, I remember you saying that. that yeah. yeah. So they don't know if it was a text message or maybe perhaps they call because even if it's Snapchat, like I've seen Snapchat calls on my phone record. It says outgoing. It doesn't say who. It just says outgoing snap call. On your phone record? Your phone? I've seen it on I've seen it on my phone logs before. On my on the phone logs that I've been able to get. Uh Um, you know, and this was a while ago. So I don't I don't know if they stopped it, but yeah, I've seen it before on my phone logs where I've made a Snapchat call and it it go through. Uh, yeah, I don't use Snapchat. I really don't know how how it really works. I just know people keep saying that like messages disappear. And I'm like, well, yeah. That's awesome. It wasn't it wasn't on my like phone bill. It was on my like my app. Like when I went into my app to look at my calls, it showed up there. It said Snapchat call. And I was like, So oh, so how long okay, so since you seem to use Snapchat, do you know how long messages stay visible? If they're like in a group message? It, it depends. Um, so there's different settings. You can have things disappear immediately after viewed or twenty four hours. And then you can also save them forever. So you can save them to the Snapchat role. So or... it's technically personal to each user. Correct. So um, no, people... wait, wait. It, it's personal to the, the chat room. So if there's multiple people oh. in one chat room, like you can change this. Anybody can change the settings in my opinion. Because I have a group chat room with Blue, Hyman, myself, and my buddy Jonathan. And we can have it where it's 24 hours. And that's the way we have it set up because... If not, we'll figure out what the hell we're talking about. And so, <laughs> yeah, um, we have it set up for 24 hours on that one. Uh, and 
like not one person can have it in the group where it deletes right away. It's everybody either has it where it can be saved or everybody gets deleted at once. So, so the like creator of the group is the one obviously that would like set those settings for the whole thing. Um, I think anybody that's in the group can change it at any oh. time. Oh, huh? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know because I know that Dave's Dave's story was that he saw there was all these, you know, plethora of messages and was like, no, it's too early. And then, you know, go back to later. So it must not have been an instant thing. Cause he was able to go back and read all the way up to the beginning, according to him. You know, what yeah, he's and I have, about. I have some severe questions about Dave's story. I don't think Dave's lying to me, but I think some of the days are getting mixed together with Dave, to be honest with you. Like some of the know, what's I, getting mixed up with what, with da what? Say the, one more time. I think the days are getting mixed together. The days. Oh, okay. Okay. Like, for instance, so I talked, and, and I, I don't remember whose channel I was on. Maybe it was CJ's, maybe it was Diego's. Uh, but I was on, or, or Melissa's, but I was on somebody else's channel, and I was explaining, because it was it happened that day. I talked to Dave, and I was like, hey, Dave, wh where did you work during that time? You know, I, I, I didn't want to put any pressure throughout, like, right all at once, just because I don't want somebody to think I'm, you know, think they're lying to me or something. But I asked Dave, I was like, where did you work? And he told me, when I looked it up, they weren't open at 1030. They didn't open until 1130 on Sundays. And so well, I and found what that time was odd. it that he said he saw the message that he actually sat down and read the messages? He said he had to be at work at 930. Mm -hmm. um, no, it was at 11. It was an I was off by an hour. Um, now, every other day other than Sunday, his mm -hmm. job would have required him to be there at 930 because they opened up at 10. Yeah. But on Sundays, they opened up at 11. Now, he says that. He could have sworn that he had to be there at that time because I asked him about it. And he said, no, I, I'm pretty sure. And, and, you know, thinking back on it, it was Thanksgiving time and maybe perhaps hours are adjusted for for the holidays. But well, um, I will say I will say that whenever I mean, it, I haven't worked in fast food since I was a teenager. But I do remember on days that you had to like open, you definitely had to be there like an hour before the open time you know to like do prep right. and stuff like that so maybe it wasn't he had to be there early for prep if he's you know being honest right which, which if it was that was. kind of restaurant i mean you know it that kind of business because well, i don't know where he, right. where he worked yeah no it was a retail place where okay well then my you no know, re <laughs> yeah re retail would have been he still would have had to have been there 30 minutes to open up yeah and it, it would have it, it, it jived if if it was a monday and the other thing yeah. that bothered me about it was that you know, he didn't say it. And I have a bad tendency of not listening to everybody else's stuff like all the way through. And I hadn't listened to like Lena's um, interview with him all the way through uh, until after, you know, until not too long ago. Mm -hmm. And I picked up that he said that he had called in sick uh, that morning. Now, I remember him saying that he had called in that day. Yeah. But I don't remember it being that morning when I had talked to him. And he told me, hey, that, that he put on there that he called in sick that morning. And I was like, well, shit, man, if, if I, I was the manager of a business and somebody called me saying, hey, I'm not going to go in because I'm going to console my brothers for that quadruple homicide that occurred on King Road. I'm going to ask him, what the F are you talking about? You well, know, and see, that's, that was something that was something else he had actually said that uh, was just a little, you know, a little confusing, honestly, because, I mean, we've got the story of like the Snapchat groups with the sororities. But then I could have sworn he said that whenever he called his place of business to let them know he wanted to stay home, they had already known what had happened. 
Yeah. Yeah. He said that they had already known and they were okay with it. And I was just like, well, not okay. With, they were okay with him calling in sick. That's yeah, what I meant to say. But there's, like they, didn't, but, they didn't give him any grief for calling in sick. Yeah. But that's, that's, that was one part that I was like, that doesn't even sound right because I could see like sorority group messages, you know, between the college kids, but some random retail business manager also got these messages to know what was going on. That doesn't make sense. Right. That's why I think his days are bleeding into bleeding in with each other, because, you know, this wasn't, you know, when it came to to Dave, he wasn't telling this story or coming out on YouTube channels since the incident had, had occurred or, or, or doing what like Kim had been doing. He he, he actually ha, has close ties or connections to Caden Young and the Demetrius. And, and yeah, Emma I remember that. Yeah. Like he like that is that is legit. Mm -hmm. And. He he got into the true crime thing because after his friend passed, he started looking into what people were saying about the situation. And that's what brought him into Lena's live. And she was talking, uh, you know, she was emphasizing about the Caden Young situation and, and Demetrius and, and Emma Bailey. And um, so that's how he got turned into true crime. And I guess because, you know, my ties and, you know, how, how many times that, you know, I've come out on TNT and TNT's come out on the Drunk Turkey Show. Uh, I guess our channel was a recommendation and he just so happened to see us the night that we were talking to Kim that she was clearing the air where I posted up that picture of us commenting, saying uh, about what we thought about her story. Yeah. And um, he realized during that conversation, and this is according to him, to me, was that he may have known early too that he knew that morning and he started thinking back and then he called in and that was well before noon. And so my mind, you know, he's thinking back about something on a specific day, several months, half a year, if not longer after the incident occurred, because this was back in like April. And so the incident occurred in November. He's trying to remember what he did that morning. I think there's a good possibility that some of these days may have been mixing together. I don't think he's lying. I think that the days are mixing together. Is there a possibility that that might be the same situation with Kim? Not necessarily because Kim called her daughter that day and that day her daughter said that, um, that she had heard in the morning. Now a kid saying that does noon sound like the morning possibly, especially on a Sunday after a night of partying and drinking, it's possible. And that's yeah. one of the things that we had said many times. Well, the, the 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 reason why I mention it is because the last time that she was on Dago's and this was a memorable conversation because it was never I was in chat asking about the phone call and she changed it to a snap group chat message. And I was like, that's not what you said, but OK, she reiterated again the whole thing about them being there and blah, 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 the whole thing. And the way that she put it was that she got the alert, the vandal alert in the in the evening. It was like five o'clock almost. Right. Something like that. It was later. Uh -huh. And she called her daughter then, and her daughter was like, yeah, I know. But then she says that she called her daughter again the next day, which would have been the Monday, and she made her, like, walk out of class because that's whenever she found out that the 911 call wasn't made until, like, noon. And then that's apparently whenever she had told her that she had found out that morning. So I'm trying to figure out exactly which part of, of her little fact or, you know, theory or whatever, whatever you want to call whatever Kim is saying is accurate because her story has changed so much because it it that's how i like the way that you just reiterated it is how i remember her originally stating it 
But then, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's evolved a lot. And now it's it's the way that she's reiterating it here. The most recently is it wasn't until she called her daughter the next day, pulled it, made her leave class to take her phone call that she then found out that it was like 10 o'clock in the morning that she'd actually known. So could it have been yeah. like a bunch of messages that Monday morning that all these people were actually involved in and it wasn't Sunday morning? I mean, I don't think so because she called based on the vandal alert. And so that had to have been at five o'clock because I think uh, I found on the Howard Bloom article mm-hmm. uh, that there was two separate um stay in shelter alerts one from idaho like early and then one from um wsu around five o'clock in the afternoon mm-hmm. and so that did occur that day uh i i don't think now kim did tell me that it took it wasn't right away that she realized that um her daughter had possible information prior to the 911 call Mm-hmm. You know, that that she did tell me that took some time. I wasn't familiar. I'm not familiar with anybody leaving school or any of those things. That's the first time I've heard that. Yeah. She said she called her and apparently she wasn't answering the phone and she texted her and told her she was in class. And she said, I don't give a damn. Walk out of class and take my call. And so she did. And that's whenever the 10 o'clock time apparently was told to Kim. You know, it could have been. It does actually kind of sound familiar now that you mentioned it that way. Um, it, it may have been. I'd have to go back. Uh but I do know for a fact that it wasn't the same day. It was after the fact and that right. she was pressing her daughter and that she had to press her daughter and that her daughter didn't want to comply with a bunch of things. She didn't want to get involved, uh, things of that nature. Um, mm-hmm. And that it got, it got, it became an, I guess a, a family issue. Or, um, I guess when she went back to school, uh, Kim's daughter, that is, because I think Kim was continually, you know, coming out and that's when Brian Coburger got arrested, you know, after, you know, the Christmas vacations or whatever. And I think that's where um, some of the um, um, turmoil started to begin because I think it started to affect Kim's daughter at her, at her school. Yeah. I mean, Kim slipped up with some names, you know, quite a bit. So I'm sure it did. I'm sure it yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. People, people found out who, who she was. I had gotten emails and, and things like that right away. It wasn't very difficult when she said her daughter's name and, I think she yeah. said the the athlete's name. Once that happened, it was oh, we know who she is, and and boom. And you know, I, I told Kim, I was like, you know, you slip up a lot. There, there's a good chance that you know if you're gonna go on, you know, people's channels. I, and I've told this to everybody. If if you're concerned about your identity or you're concerned about anything, I would not recommend going on live because there's a good chance you're gonna slip up something. Yeah. Once it's out, you can't change it. Mm-hmm. You know, yep, you say your name true. or you respond or if I accidentally call you by your real name, you know, in the Dave situation, because that's not his real name. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would. That's yeah, I would be right now. I don't even refer <laughs> when I talk to Dave or or when I talk about him, I, I don't I don't think I even say his real name because I don't ever want to accidentally slip it up. Yeah, that's probably smart, actually. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, like. Like, even with, like, Kim, like, a lot of folks think that her real name is Pam because I accidentally called her Pam. I have no idea. Well, I kind of do. Like, I, I own a, I run a business, and one of my mm-hmm. customers is named Pam. And then Kim's daughter's uh, name starts with a P. And so all that into and, and together, I just accidentally called her Pam and started a freaking controversy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, I was one of them. I was like, oh, was that a, was that a slip? Was that a slip? 
yeah but yeah. now we find out no it's not no it's not a slip it's it's a real name i just uh like there's a football player and i'll say this like all the time I was like, there's a football player that played for the pittsburgh steelers his name was vance mcdonald and i have to think about his name when i say his name because i'm so used to saying vance jackson because that's a street here in, in san antonio and so you know, yeah. Jackson and McDonald don't sound anything alike, but yet I cannot say. I mean, there's been times where I was at a football game and he scored a touchdown. And I go, oh, Vance Jackson. And people looked at me like, who's who that guy? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I, I'm just bad with names. And then it, it happened to, I think it was Steve on Publicly Buzz. I was on his on his show and he was like, yeah, man, you know, this and that. And he's talking about Kim. And then he's like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm just glad that Pam went on your show and this and that. And I was, I just had the biggest smile on my face when he said that. And he was like, what? Why are y'all smiling? I was like, because now it's not just me. I accidentally called her called her Pam. It's somebody else. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty much stuck. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, but we're over two hours, which is usually a lot longer than what I normally go. Yeah. Do you have any like last questions? I, and if you don't mind sticking around, I do have some things I want to show you after the show. Okay. No, I'll stick in. I'll stick around. All right. Well, uh, let me pull up your... Um, so that everybody, I'm sure everybody that's in the live chat knows where to find you. Mm -hmm. But um, I have it in the description. And here it is. If you're not subscribed, she's at 21.7. Let's get her to 22,000 subs, guys. Let her know that Drunk Turkey Show uh, sent you out there. She does great stuff. Uh, put out a new um, video just three hours ago. I already got 5.7K views. Way to go on the alibi. Go check out Jewels of All Trade. Um, with that being said, I want to say thank you, Jules. I appreciate it. And uh, you stick around and everybody else in the live chat. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you, mods. Thank you, um, subscribers. With that being said, 